The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. Proud official kit suppliers to the Irish men and women's rugby teams. And you're welcome to the RTE Rugby Podcast, ahead of what we hope is the resumption of the URC this weekend. Another pro to get stuck into, one to review from last week, plus the prospect of the Champions Cup continuing and the Six Nations as well, not too far away. Delighted to have Bernard Jackman and Fiona Hayes. You're very welcome. Happy New Year to you both. Um, any New Year's resolutions, Fiona? Or are you the one who just avoids them like the plague like me and says, no, no, life's hard enough. Don't put any more pressure on yourself. You got it in one. You got it in one. You <laughs> just get through next year is the main thing. I think after the last couple of years, I just think I'm not making any New Year's resolutions to go out the window after a week. So get yeah. through it. I'll try and do a bit of exercise. Maybe that only lasts for a couple of weeks, but I'll try it anyway. Yeah, myself included as well. Back into the gym, Birch. I'm, I'm going to be 16 stone of muscle by the end of the year. What do you, what do you reckon? Yeah, I don't bother to you. Yeah. <laughs> no better, man. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Listen, we'll get stuck in. Last week. Just, we look back on, on last weekend just to start us off. We have a good bit to talk about, but um, in terms of the Connacht performance, first of all, we focus on that to get the win, Bernard, because I fancied them. The bookies in the day had them one-point favourites as well, which I think is a reflection really on the type of rugby that they're playing on Andy Friend, the results that they've been putting in, as well as the reflection of perhaps where Munster are at. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, they were they were favourites, and uh, I think that's credit to uh, what they've been building. I mean, um, even though they've lost a couple of games, um, you know, the, the performance away to Leicester, um, they showed some real resilience and, and hung in there for for a bonus point. They went down fighting against Leinster, even though the scoreline was heavy. They they kind of stick to their principle and how they want to play, and um, when they get it right, they're they're very hard to contain. And and even though you know they they would argue that they weren't accurate. Or didn't play anywhere near their best against uh, against Munster. Um, they they fully deserved the win, and they actually probably showed a bit of maturity um, in terms of game management that you know they certainly didn't last year. So I think Andy Friend is is in a really good place in terms of how his team are adapted. I think if you think back to last year, a lot of close games they lost, which is poor decision making um, at key moments. Uh, but now they're starting to to get that right and. Um, yeah, look, look, it was, a, the conditions actually weren't, I was down there, the conditions weren't anywhere near as bad as they, they can be in the sports ground. Um, and that made Munster's lack of ambition or willingness to actually keep the ball, uh, you know, kind of more surprising. But Connacht, when they had it, um, certainly did try and play. And, and um, at, at key moments, they got little line breaks, which gave them field position. And, and in fairness, they, um, they squeezed the life out of Munster, which was, you know, a bit of surprise, really, because mm. um, you know it's not the forward pack that probably that Connacht are, are, are famous for. It's their all round game, um, but it's a big win for them. It's an absolutely huge win, and, and it really puts the pressure on Munster. I think to have have a have a reaction this this weekend against Ulster. It does, and we'll come back to that in in a, in a minute or two. But the, I guess the key man, Fiona. Uh, for those key decisions in key moments was Jack Carty as well. And, and I think the maturity that was reflected upon the Connacht performance really was summed up by how he played, I thought. And I think he's come on leaps and bounds in the last two or three months even. Yeah, that's it. I, he was he was absolutely outstanding. And I know he's only on for the 40 minutes, but he just controlled the game defensively. I thought he was quite excellent as well. We can see he's building up just a great par- a partnership with his two centres. And he's just, he's really good to watch. And I think, you know, I really have to hand it to Connor Fitzgerald as well, you when he came on. Yeah. Because I've I've watched him come on in a few cameos in the last uh in the last couple of games with uh for Connacht. And I thought maybe he had made the best decisions at times, and I was wondering, you know. 
know, as as a Munster fan, when I found out that Jack Carty wasn't coming back, yeah, you know, for the second half, was this a, a really, really good thing for Munster? But I just thought Conor Fitzgerald, his maturity showed he 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 his kick from the touchline for the, the conversion was outstanding. But he also played with a lot of grit, and I think he played with a bit of excitement about him as well, which I hadn't seen him been doing in those last few games with Connacht as well. Yeah, and in terms of the Six Nations now, I mean, look, he has to be pushing, doesn't he, Birch, for inclusion in Andy Farrell's plans, even in the you know the wider squad. But but, but heading towards the match day now, um, Sexton, what we know is number one, but he has to be there or thereabouts, Jack Carty, in terms of the, the overall scheme for Ireland, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I think, um, obviously, he got back into the squad late in November, but didn't feature, mm. um, just be part of the training group. And I think since then, he's just kicked on. And also, like the others, you know, Harry Byrne hasn't had a chance to... Um, in terms of game time to really nail down um, his credentials, Ross as well, Lencer obviously have had games cancelled. So mm-hmm. unless unless one of those get Ross or Harry get a run of games over the next three or four weeks, um, you would say Jack Carthy, there's no doubt he's back up to, in my Sexton. opinion, there's back up to Sexton on form. On form, yeah. we know. Yeah. Uh, look, that, that's with Joey being injured as well, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would, I would be shocked if he wasn't in this in one of three tens and yeah, he, he justifiably can, can claim, you know, a, a legitimate right to being the backup. And I think what he's shown is, which what Irish players always want, or Irish teams always want in their tens is that ability to really take on responsibility to drive his team forward. And, you know, he's done it, as I said, consistently this year, particularly as well, you know, away to Leinster, away to Munster and Tomlin Park and away to Leicester in the Champions Cup. What do you what do you make of Oshin Dowling just overall before we move on to, to Munster, uh, Fiona? I'm a huge fan of this guy. I think he he's potential again to really kind of push. And if you look at also Dan's decision, obviously to leave for La Rochelle as well, he's going to be vital to Connacht in the next few years. But there's a gap there in that Irish kind of second row um, panel, if you like, that this guy I think is really putting his hand up for for selection. Yeah, he definitely. He's playing. He's playing outstanding stuff. I know he had yellow card just yeah. before half time, but that was probably just you know team penalties accumulation of that obviously on the line. But remember, he had a very very good turnover about ten minutes previous to that as well. He's playing really really well. He's controlling. I know at times we've talked about maybe the the Connacht line out, but I, but I think he's getting in the mix. For me, he was the standout second row. I thought Alton Delan. I was expecting a big game from him. I thought he gave away a lot of penalties in that first half, but um he was absolutely outstanding and I think he's I think that's it there is positions there to be taken in that second row he's physically probably not as 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 big or as dominant as as some of the other guys that have have been up there you know the James Roy type of characters but he's getting in for those turnovers and steal and he's seen he's he's been seen in the loose I think he's really good around the park as well Munster Bernard where there's no there's no avoidance they were absolutely abysmal again and and I, 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 I don't want to just focus it on, on the performance because everyone saw it. I don't want to spend too much time on the actual performance itself because they were just so bad. It's very hard to actually you know, pick any highlights whatsoever. In terms of the bigger picture here now, I'm just kind of scratching my head and saying, like, what, what, what do Munster want to get out of this season? So we have a situation where Graham Rowntree has just agreed a contract extension, which is uh, good that one of the existing coaches, senior coaches, has been tied down given that Van Gran is leaving for Bath and Larkham is leaving at the end of the season. And I'm, I'm, if I'm in the Munster setup, I'm kind of saying to myself now, what do we really want Van Grand for for the rest of the season? There is no marked improvement in the performances over the last few months. In fact, they've actually deteriorated by an awful lot of measurements. You have a head coach that's on his way out going to a European rival, if not a, a domestic rival, in Bath in, in six months' time. He activated the clause and wants to leave. Why is he still hanging around? Why don't Munster just cut ties and say, look, thanks very much, Joe and Van Grand. Um, off you go. You can take your sabbatical or your garden leave, as, as most companies 
um, are prone to do in this situation. Put someone like Graham Rowntree in charge, give him the job on a temporary basis for the next few months and see what he can get out of the squad that might be different to what we're seeing at the moment, which ultimately is just really, really poor rugby. Well, look, it's definitely something that they're going to have to consider, um, particularly if if performances t- uh, start to slide. I, I think the kind of perfor- or non-performance um, was something that really hit the Munster fans. I, I, I haven't heard as much um, criticism or, or apathy towards where Munster are going since that performance. And, and like, it's so weird in an Irish provincial derby uh, just to be so flat. And there's games you play, uh, and I, I certainly played them, where you're maybe not fully tuned in mentally, and the game kind of passed by without any real instance, and, and you lose the game at the end that you maybe think you, you probably should win, and you have to learn from it. But, like, if you think about that game, there was lots of little flashpoints throughout it. I mean, you know, off the ball stuff, particularly at halftime. I mean, I, I was talking to a, um, a guy I would have played against a lot for uh, when I was playing for Leinster against Munster yesterday, and we're just saying, and I played against him for Connor as well, and I was just saying, like, if... Back in our day, and I don't want to go back to that, but yeah, if a if a color forward pushed the monster back, you know, um, going off the pitch at half time, good luck, and he, and he fell over, <laughs> like you'd be waiting for the first opportunity in the second half for what they were going to like come back and respond to, but like that's what shocked me a little bit is but even though Connacht antagonized Munster and put it up to them, there was no real reaction, and I'm not saying that you have to be violent, but you can. You can show what you stand for in other ways, um, in terms of your physicality, and and that's that's something that was always in Munster, and it's still it's in that group of players, but they just need to get it out. And um, if like in professional sport, you can't afford to wait six months, um, to rebuild or to to have a chance of winning something. So I think over the next three or four weeks, if performances stay as stagnant as they are, they are going to need to look at um at what what the best option is, and um. And also, I mean, the problem for Munster is, or for Johan van Graan is, without Johan van Graan in Was, they had a performance full of vibrancy and, and energy and uh, yeah. traditional Munster values. So, and you know, he wasn't there, and it was in Costello, and it was a makeshift group. So, um, that's the problem as well is that they have shown, you know, uh, without him, that they're capable of, of doing more. Now, in fairness, I think. <laughs> Stephen Larkham needs to come under the spotlight as well because Johan isn't on the pitch. Johan is very much a DOR at the moment, right? So it's it's Larkham who runs the the team game plan, the team strategy. So has he has he clamped the players' ambition? I mean, to see Damien Delande having been you know have down ten eight with a couple of minutes to go, having a no ball. Um, ben Healy throws him a great pass. Okay, he's in his twenty two. Um, he's on his own goal line, but he makes a burst, right? And, mm. you know, he's a chance to get into the, to the 10-yard line. He's a three-man overlap outside him. And he kicks him to touch, you know what I mean? So, like, um, when you're 10-8 down with a couple minutes to go, if you're 10-8 up with a couple minutes to go, that's the right decision. Um, and just, like, Ben Healy trying to drop goal from 65 yards when, you know, there's, it's a two-sided attacking option. So, for whatever reason, they have become unbelievably conservative. And I don't think it, it can be just Johan when he's net when he's not on the pitch much. It's it's Larkham and Johan van Graan who who seem to have set them up to be um play like the box to a certain extent, but without yeah. that without that power or dominant you know defense physically or that four pack who can really strangle teams. So as I said, I don't think that Munster won't want to be seen to make some to to do something drastic. But I think over the next couple of weeks, if there's not a marked improvement in the performance. I think it'll affect booms on seats, it'll affect their chances of winning this year. 
And then it's a full rebuild in June with a new coaching setup. And it's two or three years probably before they look like they're going to win something. So it is a question to be asked, uh, Hugh. Would it be drastic, though, Fiona, for Munster to say to Larkham and Van Gran, or one or both, well, certainly, you know, um, you know, Jonah Van Gran, we know, is leaving, to say, look, thanks very much. I mean, you've made your decision. You have enacted this clause. You're out of here. Off you go. We, we, we don't actually need you for the rest of the season. And we're going to give a guy, Graham Rowntree, who is on the record as saying, look, uh, the head coach is uh, position is something that I'm actually interested in. I have committed my future to Munster here. And why not give him a go and see what he can do in the next few months? They've actually been gifted a situation now where they can almost have an experimental head coach on trial for the permanent position. If it works out, it's been brilliant. And if it doesn't, they're still going to have to go and find another head coach anyway. And they could be working away in the background trying to, to find up suitable candidates. I don't see where the, the downside to this is. Yeah, no, I, I suppose there's contract issues there and maybe he has to finish it out. It, it's not really done, I suppose, as much in rugby as we see in other sports where we're, we're like uh, they go and that's the end of them. We've an interim um, person in there. I think Gro- Graham Rowntree has been absolutely outstanding for Munster, but I suppose it's attacking rugby we're looking at that we're not seeing. I mean, Bernard talked there about the, the counter-attack. It was absolutely non-existent. I was shouting at the t- TV screen all game. Every time Connacht kicked us the ball, there was absolutely no... No chance of us running rugby. It was literally kicked back. It was so disappointing. And we just didn't have a game plan. It couldn't be seen anywhere on the Munster team that day anyway. So I I, I, I suppose they're looking at it. You know, you have Graham Rowntree in there. Um, he's focused on forwards. Forder, forwards at times done very well. Maul, Scrum at times was good. Who who take over that attacking style of rugby? Who bring in that new new style? Is, is Rowntree going to take over that? role maybe not I suppose the lads are used to Larkham there so it's finish out the season and we get someone new in yeah I, I'm wondering in the background as well I mean you mentioned Costos there obviously you know you know Roundtree's there as well uh, Birch, I, you know if you dig down a little bit deeper I'm not sure in the extent of, of coaches that can step up or, or if there is enough there to kind of sustain what is you know the senior squad and second string and whatever trickling down towards and the academy and the development squads but I, I just think, that, you know, you use the word drastic there. I think they need to try something drastic because what's happening at the moment is blatantly not working. And if you drift on for another three or four months, you know, the Champions Cup would be gone. And the, the new URC as we have it as well, God knows what's going to happen there. But I just don't see that what is happening at the moment can benefit Munster to any degree over the next few weeks. Yeah, look, at this This will sound harsh, but I, I, I don't know... Like the fact that they re-signed Johan in the first place um, would this make me wonder. Well, would make me wonder where, like, how re- how ambitious are they really to change the pecking order? Have they accepted that Leinster are naturally always going to be number one, which shouldn't be the case? I mean, we saw when Johnny Sexton left um, to go to to France, um, and there's a little bit of um, betting in process in the in the replacement for for Joe Schmidt. That Leinster, you know, dropped off a little bit, and let Munster still didn't win a, a, a title. Um, you know, like the, the reality is, uh, there's not that sense of urgency or desperation to change the pecking order amongst the whole leadership in Munster. And I'm talking about senior players as well, um, and 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 off the field, it's like. Um, you know, it's, it's, organiz- it's an, an organizational thing. Then, and do you remember when? Do you remember when you went to the Dragons, Birch? And I, yeah. I remember even talking to you at the time. We and we interviewed a few times, and and you, you know, had a blueprint in front of you. You were promised X, Y, and Z in terms of um, structural support for you to enact changes in the squad, and, and then changed the belief in players as well that we're not just going to be the, the boot boys of of the Welsh region or whatever. And it became very obvious to you very quickly that actually you weren't going to 
those supports weren't going to materialise. But there was an attitude almost like that, look, we're the Dragons and sure, look, this is our place and things are going to change. There seems to be, as you just said, a similar attitude among most of us. Sure, look, we are where we are at and like we're just almost plugging gaps rather than actually trying to enact change that would be meaningful change. Yeah, and in fairness, look, sometimes the worst thing you can do is just be performing to to a, an okay level. And first, the monster they haven't had, you know, that massive dip where you know they're bottom of the table, or uh, they've been winning enough games to kind of keep everybody reasonably content. But that's mm. that's sometimes um, you know a horrible place to be. I remember in, in two thousand and nine when we eventually won a European Cup in Leinster. You know, we went and got lost away to cast, and it, it made everybody in a, in a group stage. It wasn't uh, the death knell, but it made everybody look at what we were doing um, in a very pressurized way. And it led to us actually winning the European Cup that year. You know, so the problem with, with Munster is it seemed to just like last year's defeat to Leinster in the final was a real pathetic display. They never fired a shot. They had a chance to win a Rainbow Cup um, and 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 they blew it. I mean, Treviso won it because Leinster, I don't know if you remember, had, had rotated because it was a week before they played La Rochelle. So they lost to Munster. That was a gift. Uh, a gifted opportunity for Munster to win some silverware. They didn't achieve it. What happens? Nothing. You know, and at first, mm-hmm. I, I, would, I would say, off the field, I mean, the supporters club who put together the money to sign the land day and Snyman, you know, they showed that they were willing to, to step up. But in other areas, it just seems to be, uh, and they've done it, in fairness, they've done it by spending money. So Larkham, Roundtree and Van Gran are very expensive and well-paid coaches. So they've, they've done the hard part, which is actually finance it. But yes, around that, and I said, it's not just the management of, of Munster, it's, it's senior players, it's everybody involved. There just seems to be this level of acceptance at the moment that, you know, we're doing really well, um, you know, because we're knocking around semi-finals um, and the odd final. Um, and in Europe, we can throw in the odd, you know, the odd performance. But realistically, I think Munster are capable of so much more than that. And um, and this this could be a great opportunity to, to throw the shackles off and see. I mean, in France, it's a management technique called ultra shock, right? Uh, Electroshock, mm. sorry. Yeah. And where in this situation, you know, the president would have called Johan in and and said, "Look, you're gone." Right, and yeah. I'm not saying we should base ourselves on, on on French management style, but every so often, having a little bit of um, of a of an electroshock, uh, particularly when a team is underperforming, and you know that it's not something that can be built upon, which is here. And to answer Fiona's point there about contracts, yeah, yeah, Johan is due six months wages. Stephen Arkham is due six months wages. That Munster are going to have to pay anyway. So um, it's just a case of sometimes they're saying, "Well, look at." You know, we know we have to pay that, um, but we're, we're focused on the short term and potentially medium to long term. If Roundtree worked out as being a good head coach, yeah. 50 years of age in the environments he's been in, um, the fact he's in the squad now, he, sh- he, he should have a really good idea of what's needed. Yeah. Um, also, let's be honest, it's not the time to go looking for a head coach. So um, it's World Cup cycle. You know, realistically, in, in June, there's not going to be the creme de la creme available. And maybe J- Graham Roundtree, understanding what the squad needs, um, being allowed to pick his own coaching team uh, might be the best possible option. But I think the reality is, unless he gets it now as a caretaker role, I don't think he's going to get it because you would have said Munster, Munster would have just given it to him, you know, announced it straight away. Um, but maybe exactly. he is, maybe maybe he is the right guy. But it looks like he's not going to get that chance to, to show it. Certainly this cycle, certainly this cycle, you know. But um, it's it's a it's 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 a minefield. 
No, it is. It is. And uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I almost, I was talking to one of the lads with this over point of the night as well, Fiona, about, you know, the comparisons with Manchester United at the moment. Like, you know, this former great club that is just kind of plowing along, not playing particularly good style of, of the game that they're playing, whether it's football in Manchester United's case or, or Munster, you know, they're surviving on a bit of an on a past reputation. They seem to be happy just to tick a few boxes. The players don't seem in any way like they're up for big challenges. And it's very frustrating to watch. And I'm sure for Munster supporters as well. Like Birch mentioned there, Connacht last weekend was the first time they kind of went, right, we've had enough of this, you know. And and if, if it continues to progress, you just would wonder as well, the patients and supporters who are going to be needed now more than ever, given the financial climate we've been through in the last year and a half, to support Munster Rugby over the next year and a half. If they don't see, you know, change, if they don't see something to hang on to, they'll get very, they'll get very slow to come through those gates, I can tell you. It won't be long happen. Definitely. You can see the, the supporters and you can see it online. You can hear it talking to people that they're, they're really disheartening at the minute, especially with that. It's not the Connacht loss by two points. It's it's the style, the manner in which it was done. The the Munster team, they just like, uh, what, what was it? I think was it Connor Murray or sorry, uh, Craig Casey had 24 passes. Like, what does that say 24. about a team? 24 passes in the whole half. game. Yeah. And Marmion 86. Pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic, and it just it just shows the type of rugby that was played on the night. And you know, the the sad thing is, we've had glimpses of of good games all season. As we talked earlier, that Wasps game, the young guys got out there. We saw exciting rugby at times. Yeah, there was errors, but it was exciting. We saw backline attack. I think the, the fans are getting absolutely sick of not seeing that exciting rugby. Not that that's not there. And I suppose when you're when you're the way the game is going now, that's what's getting the crowds and that's what's getting the the fans excited. It's not. You know, that scruffle that, that happened, that handbags at half time, that's not really as exciting as it used to be as well before. No, but but no. definitely, you know, it's 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 attacking rubbing. And we and we've spoke about how good Connacht are, are at attacking rugby and you know what Andy Friend brings, and we're just not seeing it as Munster fans on that team. And it's it's really disappointing. And it's that a few people have said, I haven't heard anyone talk about trying to get to this Ulster game next week. You know, you'd you'd be wondering the tickets are cut down if there's going to be mm. if the game is going ahead. I haven't even heard people murmuring about whether whether they're going up to Toman Park or not and I live right beside the stadium it's a very strange kind of feeling with the fans at the minute yeah and, and it'd be interesting to see you know I guess the, the, hopefully the game goes ahead first and foremost I know both sides are waiting on, on positive or negative results um, and hopefully the game does go ahead but it'd be interesting to see Birch you know if, if, if you're looking at this you know on blueprint and on form and on personnel and everything that's been going the way it has again I'd make Ulster favourites at Toman Park here this weekend um, yeah, it depends on what kind of sh- what, what, how they shape up. But look, I, I'd be absolutely shocked if there's not. Um, I'd be really worried for Munster if there's not a backlash um, in terms of, of performance. Um, in terms, and I don't really care if it's as accurate. You're not going to go from hero to zero or zero to hero overnight. But if there's not intent to actually play, I mean, when you look at the, the quality of player they have, I, I, I think they're selling themselves short by not at least having. A look to play, and then if you if you know if if you get shut down, if you're on the back foot, obviously then you go to your kicking game, and we're not expecting it to become the the babas, but um, at least show an intent. The way the game is gone, it is favouring um, Bar, as I said, South Africa, who let's be honest have a have a set of physical attributes that not many other teams have. The the, the way the game is gone, attack, ball in hand, high tempo rugby is mm. winning games. Um, yeah. So unless, if you're going to go against the grain on that, um, well, you better have a set piece that can do incredible damage. And we saw 
we saw, you know, the other night that their their scrum line wasn't totally dominant against. Uh, well, their mall wasn't dominant against Connacht, and that was that was the only way they were going to score points um, or through pick goals, and they weren't dominant that either. So um, it, it's it's just something I, I I would still fancy Munster to be honest, but also <laughs> I think, yeah, I think over the last couple of years as well, there's been a, a an inclination for Munster to get upset with criticism or punditry and, you know, uh, rather than actually look at themselves. I mean, I, I, I genuinely think Irish rugby needs Munster to be really strong. I think Munster, when they're on song and and, uh, and they have that uh, performance level and they have that connection with their fans, are unique in, in, in world rugby. I mean, um, I know, you know, Christoph Urias, who's the coach of Bordeaux now, or top of the top, uh, top 14, I mean, he bases a lot of his, his culture on and he did this in Oina, he did this in Casper, he won a top 14, and now he's doing it in, in, in Bordeaux about Munster and what a Munster man is, what that means. He tries to get the Bordeaux players to to have those similar attributes, not to this generation, but to the the O'Garas, the O'Connells, the Hayes, the, yeah. you know, the, the Anthony Foley's, etc. So <laughs> Munster has something unbelievably unique. And I'm not bashing them for the sake of bashing them. I just would love to see them be on the right track where they can be, you know, a real genuine contender in, in, in Europe again. And there are plenty of coaches out there who understand exactly what that tradition is and exactly what that um, that character is, that monster man that you were talking about there. They're still coaching out in the modern game. You look over in France as well. There are plenty of coaches out there. So I don't know. Look, the, the appointment is going to be crucial. Um, I'm interested to see if they do anything about the Van Grand situation in the short term. It doesn't look like it at the moment, but you never know. The Champions Cup, Fiona, obviously, is, is, is next weekend. Um, provided we can get, I guess, travel dispensation or exemptions between um, the UK and France. I saw Steve Sanderson today giving out about the red tape that's now applied to his South African players going to France. And this is something that they probably should have realised a while back, but obviously, look, it's neither here nor there. It's crucial for the Champions Cup for European rugby that we get the two rounds played. If they don't, I think they might be just at the stage where they're going to have to either bin it or just completely rework the format. Definitely have to rework the format if, if the games aren't playing because you know it's something I suppose they they have you have to keep it going. It's there's rugby being played. It's it's obviously red tape between France and England, you know, and I'm sure they're working around the clock to fix that. But if these two games aren't played, or if the if these round of games aren't played, it's going to have a serious knock on effect. I don't know. Can they delay it? Is there time to delay it in the calendar? Maybe push it out a little bit? Probably not. It's not the way to go. We saw last tournament, they cut it short. There was teams kind of knocked out of it that probably would have been hoping to get through to, to quarterfinal stages. So it's a very tricky one at the minute. I would hope that they can get through this red tape and obviously the games will be played and they can maybe look at then where they're going to go from there if they're going to cut it short on that. Do we know as well, guys, what's with the Six Nations? I, I, I did see um, a story yesterday, I read, that um, Six Nations are preparing for a tournament behind closed doors. But surely that would be an absolute disaster if they had a tournament behind closed doors. Yeah, that would be an absolute disaster again. Um, having said that, they'd be foolish not to, given the fact that we're here, we're constricted to 5,000 people until the end of the month. Wales, at the moment, uh, are under restrictions mm. of nobody in stadiums. Now, in fairness... Um, like I think we all hope and expect that that would be those would be lifted over the course. Lifted, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, they have to prepare for uh, the worst case scenario. But I, I think um, there's still that hope and expectation that in February, March, that it'll be played. And in fairness, England, like the Welsh, are actually saying um, that they should look at playing their games in Wembley, their home games in Wembley, and get a crowd in 
because at the moment that's the scenario you can go to to England um but you, in the millennium stadium at the moment at the moment it's, it would be zero people yeah zero fans so what we could I mean, why, I mean listen why would why would why would you not look at moving the entire tour England because it's it's like all all bets are off there I mean we saw Cheltenham got New Year's Day there 30,000 people whereas like six miles up the road in Chepstow the Grand National for Wales was behind closed doors so if, if England are saying come one come all like maybe we just move the entire tour just so everybody go there well look at I think uh, the stranger things have happened you obviously that sounds ridiculous but yeah. If there if there was a fear that four or sorry five of the, well I'm not sure what the situation is at the moment but if the four home nations or three of the four home nations uh, couldn't get any revenue from their home games I think given mm. what's happened you know last year and, and the the financial ramifications of that I, I think everything will be will be considered um, certainly it's not it's difficult for us to play our home game in, in, in London but for for Wales I mean when they were when they were renovating the, the Millennium Stadium they did play in. Uh, in in Wembley, and there's so many soccer stadiums um, available that can hold fifty, sixty thousand people. Um, mm. That they may look at that, but I uh, look at I'd be hopeful that um, that Ireland we can have our home games in in, in the Viva, and yeah, I don't hope for hope for a full house. Maybe I'm too optimistic. Ah, listen, I wouldn't be too. I'd be too upset, lads. You know, six six weeks over in London, flipping the whole RT Sports <laughs> Express over there. Listen, if you had to do it, that's yeah. what I'm saying. In a tight, in a tight, a tight bubble, Hugh, you have to stay in your room. <laughs> that's it. Well, yeah. Good luck with that. That passport will travel. That's, listen, um, RT uh, two is the match this weekend, provided it gets the all clear between um, Munster and Ulster. It'll be fascinating to see if that backlash uh, materializes, or, or or indeed how Munster line out on the performance as well. That's live, and um, we're waiting for the all clear. Enjoy that. We'll talk next next week we'll hopefully have a clearer picture about everything else thanks so much to Birch and Vian thanks guys the RTE Rugby Podcast sponsored by Canterbury proud official kit suppliers to the Irish men and women's rugby teams